You know, you and I are of a kind. In a different reality, I could have called you friend. Episode 10, Balance of Terror. More like episode 9, loser! In your face, victory is mine! <laughs> Captain's Log, Stardate 1709.2. Patrolling outposts guarding the neutral zone between planets Romulus and Remus and the rest of the galaxy received emergency call from Outpost 4. The USS Enterprise is moving to investigate and assist. Welcome back, everyone, to a brand new series of the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. I am your regular host, Captain Mike Wilson, and I am joined, as always, by my faithful number one, my co-host, DK. Y'all on true. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd, uh, I'd just like to say hello. Uh, welcome to our new listeners on the Federation Subspace radio channel. We're very happy to have you here with us on this, the first episode of the new season of Hit or Miss. And we're truly glad to be part of the uh, the Federation and to help in any way we can. So thank you and uh, thank you to Russ for helping set this up. And I now return you to uh, to Captain Mike. Absolutely, yes. Uh, welcome aboard, uh, everyone. Hopefully you enjoy what you hear. And uh, myself and DK are joined for this episode by a semi-regular recurring guest, our second officer, let's call her. Welcome back, Adrienne. <laughs> And Joel on true to you too. <laughs> and welcome everyone. Yeah, um, so if you haven't gathered by uh, all of these slight hints that have been dropped there, this, uh, this now fifth series that we're in of the podcast, we're going to be looking at episodes focused on the Romulans. Uh, if you're new to us, we have done series in the past focused around things like the Borg, the Klingons, time travel. So I decided I was going to focus on the Romulans this series and I'm going to change DK's mind because he claims not to be a fan of them. So I'm going to try and prove to you DK, that they make great episodes, okay? <laughs> See, I'm with Mariner. They're just shady. <laughs> if you say so. So, yeah, um, welcome aboard, everyone. This hopefully will be a return uh, to form. But if we're a little rusty, don't apologize. we do apologize. It's been a little while since we've jumped in. But I'm going to try and keep to all the usual sections and explain as we go for any new listeners what we're doing. So if you are new here, uh, what we normally do just to start is to have a quick sort of getting to know you and a little bit of a catch up in a section that I like to call Healing frequencies open. Healing frequencies open, sir. And, uh, yeah, so we always kind of know each other pretty well. Normally, if we had any new guests, we would ask sort of, what was your introduction to Star Trek? What are your, some of your favorite things? But we don't need to go through all that because people can go back on our YouTube channel or on our feed and find out if they wanted to or about all of that stuff. But this being a Romulan-themed uh, series of the podcasts, I did want to ask if you have any particular favorite Romulan storylines or characters or anything. And I know it's uh, it's a bit foolish to do this, DK, given what you've already said, but I'm going to come to you first. Does anything stand out uh, to you amongst the, the Rom all things Romulan in the uh, Star Trek canon? Uh, I did like uh, the Defector. Uh, the next I gen. Did yeah. All, yeah, and sticking with that, I did also like uh, Unification 1 and 2. I, I did enjoy those, mostly for Spock. 
I've never, uh, you know, I've made no no secret of the fact that I'm not a big big Romulan person, but I do appreciate them. I, I, it's not that I think they've been overplayed. I mean, you know, Vian said this a couple of, uh, well, I'm guessing years now about the Klingons, but <laughs> I, I'm not into the the whole duplicitousness. Oh, aren't we, you know, aren't we clever and sneaky kind of aspect of it? So uh, it kind of put me off. So you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to having my mind changed this season. Fair enough. And uh, what about you, Adrian? Anything stand out amongst the uh, the Romulan area for you <laughs> that's particularly good? Well, apparently DK wouldn't know a plot from a conspiracy. Um, I feel <laughs> like um, <laughs> I feel like they were really just trying to create, you know, the anti-logic aspects of it. You know, they were just trying to show well. Uh, you know, give give characters or give this um, these aliens who were kind of mean, but mm. still, you know, crafty, like, you know, not crazy like the Klingons, you know, just sort of, the, I guess, more intellectual bad guys <laughs> but they yeah just, i mean yeah it may it may come up during the review but i mean it's probably well known that star trek was in a lot of ways roddenberry's attempt to comment on real world things via mm. the the lens and the allegory of sci-fi so if the klingons were often said to be the kind of the soviet union or russia during the kind of 60s to 80s time then the romulans were effectively communist china which is mm -hmm. why they were kind of, you know, sneaky. They had an invisibility field, and it was the way that everybody viewed them at that particular time, whether right. whether fair or not. Um, right. So I think that was, and it's an interesting angle to take, but it also means, as you say, once you get beyond the sort of the 1960s period of the original series, what do you really do with that, I guess, in some right. ways? And, I mean, some writers <laughs> have done great things with it. but yeah. Now they're collecting Borg parts and such. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, I the Romulans weren't, aren't my favorite you know that it they just not that interesting but i truly truly love um what they did with them in lower decks so i, I guess it just now now you know it could be funny and stuff but um yeah i'm not a huge rolling fan but watching these episodes lately i kind of been watching them and i did just watch um that next generation one i I can't remember the name right. You just said it, DK. Um, yeah, that was good. I had forgotten how good that actor is. And I that might I be coming love... up later in the series, by the way. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I really love how Spock's um genuine desire to um get everybody back together and at the table, you know. So I like unification too. Mm. Is that all three parts of unification? Because <laughs> obviously there's a discovery addendum to that now as well. So Yeah, that's good. I like it. Yeah, I like what they're doing with it. Definitely. I like mm. where they're going with it. See, I've always liked the Romulans and I'm kind of thrilled to hear that they are going to play into season five of Discovery. Now that they've officially released a synopsis for the pilot, which is about to premiere at uh, South by Southwest, apparently. So yeah, apparently Discovery goes looking for a missing piece of Romulan technology, which some are theorizing might be the interface device from next gen, mm -hmm. uh, which seems a little bit too convenient, a little bit too clean. So we'll see if that's the case. I haven't got spoilers, so that's just literally what people are speculating, but we shall see, I guess. Um, yeah. And <laughs> you're excited to see what any more of the Romulans DK or just growing up? <laughs> I, I was, when I put this one on, I was like, oh, 
it just felt like a trek pun not intended but uh <laughs> i i kind of come off a high with this one so hmm. i am intrigued as to where it goes and maybe as i say re-watching and these this time will uh change my mind on it mm-hmm. well let's hope fingers crossed so yeah um well that'll get that out of the way because we have a lot to get um, on with because this is a packed uh, episode of the podcast and a very you know an episode with a lot to talk about of the original series as well so we'll jump into what our next section would be uh, which will be the hit or miss section and i'll explain as we go what about my performance i'm not a drama critic if you are new to the podcast, this is the section that gives the podcast its name. Uh, what I'm going to do is I have five things this week because I know it's quite a packed episode. I'm just going to name things from somewhere in the Star Trek universe. Uh, and then I'm going to throw it to my guests to see whether they think they're a hit or a miss. A little explanation of why. Some perhaps friendly debate back and forth if necessary. And then we'll come to a conclusion because obviously we have uh, an odd number so we can have a consensus one way or the other. And uh, yeah, take it from there. And uh, that's effectively it. I think... Uh, there's nothing overly complex to get into with that. So uh, as with the Klingon series, I have tried to dot in things that would have relevance to Romulan stuff as well. Uh, not everything, because we want to keep it a little bit interesting rather than obvious, but certainly things here and there that would play into the theme that we're going with. So I should specify that the guests don't know anything about what's going to come up in advance. I, I'm the only one that knows what I'm going to ask <sighs> them, so they don't, uh, they don't get to find out and prepare their answer. Now, so, now I have anxiety. Uh, <laughs> I hear that a lot, but it's fine. We're just, we're all friends here. We're just Trekkies it, it, gathered at It's almost like this. this is a quiz, Adrian. Oh, God. We might not be friends after this, but okay. <laughs> I would never do a quiz on Adrian, please. Oh, please no. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the first thing on my list today, and there's a kind of dual reason for this, is the character of Captain James T. Kirk, specifically as played by Shatner, partly because obviously Balance of Terror is quite a Kirk-focused episode, and partly because William Shatner seems convinced that Star Trek and its fans want to erase his version of this character. So, <laughs> TK, we'll come to you first. Is Captain Kirk a hit or a miss once and for all, and is Shatner right? You just want rid of him. <laughs> He's a 100% hit, Kirk. I love Kirk. Nice. I love Shatner's portrayal of Kirk. They say never meet your heroes, and with it being Shatner... I was extremely worried when I met him, but the, the guy was lovely. Is he right? I don't always agree with Shatner's views, especially on social media. I personally don't like the fact that Paramount recently put out that banner without Kirk. But, you know, you and I both know that I have a dubious history with a lot of Paramount's recent decisions. I can't say that the fans are trying to erase him, maybe... You know, I'm I'm not fully aware of what is going on out there, but uh, for me, mm. I I just think he's a fantastic character, and Trek wouldn't be Trek today without Shatner as Kirk, right at the start of it all. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too much into that. The the banner thing really bugged me because a lot of people leapt onto that and said the same thing. And at the end of the day, there's one character representing every series on there, and it shows Spock from the original series, which I think is beyond fair. You know, it wasn't a. It's not like it was a snub to the character of Captain Kirk. It's just that if you could pick one character, Spock is that important. Quite frankly, you know, I, I, as a fan of the character, I would say that. But I think there's nothing wrong with that, and I certainly don't think that it's what you know what William Shatner, or whoever runs his social media, was trying to say about it. You know, turning it into a culture war thing. Them not liking the character of Kirk because he's not enlightened or whatever they want him to be these days. I think that's nonsense. Uh, I think it really is just a matter of. They had to pick between Kirk and Spock, and they went with Spock as the more famous character because 
more people perhaps do know him and or do sort of relate to that character. He does have a bit more vitality, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I'll give my opinions on uh, on Shatner's version of Kirk in a moment, but I'll come to you next, then, Adrienne, and ask what you make of the character. Yeah, he's a hit. Um, I I I've been rewatching a lot of the episodes, and um, the stuff with the women is so bad. But that that's the writing. So I appreciate what Shatner did with the character. I appreciate how hard he worked. I keep thinking to myself, well, this is the, like if I was watching a second season episode, well, they wanted to cancel the show and look at how hard he's trying, how, how you know, what he's doing, how he's leading, he's putting everything into it. So yeah, he's a hit. Yeah. And I think the same thing. I think, like I said, it's an absolute nonsense to say that people want to erase this version of the character. I think he's fantastic. I mean, we can't deny there's a little bit of an issue with the way that he is with women, but I do think that's also over-exaggerated by some parties um, as well. And I think that the overriding effect that I get, the, the memory I have of Kirk is more, you know, I can't be in a relationship. I already have a woman. She's called the Enterprise. And uh, yet there's a lot of great moments like that which speak to his kind of duty and his character. And I'm sure we'll get into some of them because a lot of those moments are in Balance of Terror as well. Mm -hmm. So They are. Um, but yeah, I think, and, and we've said this before, Jiki, I think William Shatner, because he is such a parodied character and such a, a, a sort of go-to impression, doesn't get the credit he deserves as a perfectly a dang fine actor who does some great performance moments and... They're overlooked because of the occasional, you know, overacting or the occasional thing that people can latch onto. And I don't think that's fair at all. I think, and I think fans know the importance of, because a lot of people, like I said, on social media did leap to the defense of Shatner as Kirk and said, there wouldn't be any Star Trek without and a lot of the acting performance is, is fantastic. So yeah, I mean, William Shatner, if it puts your mind at ease, that's three unequivocal hits from us here today. Yeah. So <laughs> as, you, as you've mentioned, we've, you know, we've talked about it before, and when anybody brings Shatner up, they immediately go to, you know, the played-out Jim Carrey version of Shatner, which yeah. is the long pauses. Yes, and when, when you know, you see the memes and the gifs, they're all from, you know, Whom Gods Destroy or Turnabout Intruder. But when you look at an episode like today's episode, you just... There's a reason this guy was the captain for me. And yeah, I just... Absolutely. Yeah, I can't fault him. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that says it all, I think. So uh, very popular here with us. So the second thing on today's hit or miss section is a ship. I always like to chuck those in, much to uh, our friend Will's <laughs> slight displeasure whenever he's here, but he's not here to complain. And it does tie into our theme, and uh, it's probably blindingly obvious, but I'm going to ask what you think about the Romulan Bird of Prey, specifically the 2266 version from TOS. And uh, TK, we're going to come to you first. I, I always found it a bit dull. I do love the uh, delivery, obviously, but uh, yeah, I much prefer. <laughs> yeah, I much prefer the uh, the next generation onwards versions of the ships. It was an interesting. It was it was where you know when you're watching the original series and when it was just the original series, it was always nice to see a different design of ship because let's be fair, you didn't get that many. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah I th I think these days. It's okay. It's passable. I'm, I'm still going to claim it's a hit, but it's a very soft hit on my part. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so it's a slightly half-cloaked hit in your case. <laughs> and uh, Adrienne, what do you make of this show? Yeah, I'm going to give it a pat. It's it's just a gentle little pat. It's not a miss. Um, it could have been much worse. <laughs> but I, I like how, like, this scene right here, like, it's a bird in flight. I think that's cool. I like the design. 
Um, it's good to know that uh, these creatures evolved on Romulus basically the same way uh, that they did on Earth. Um, mm. So yeah, I kind of like it, but it's it's so it you know looking at it, it seems weak. It doesn't seem I don't see the strength of it. You know, like like you would see of the Klingon uh, bird of prey or something. But yeah, it's I give it a hit. I, I still okay. Yeah. yeah, we should we should clarify for any audio listeners, by the way, that on our YouTube channel we have got the image up of the ship. That's what Adrian's referring to. Oh yeah, I'm and sure that if, helps. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure if you're a Trek fan, by the way, though, you can picture what the Romulan bird of prey looks like. It's very right. well known, but uh, yellow. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I so you're gonna say what was it then, uh, Adrian? Soft hit. I give it a pat. I give it a pat. A, a soft hit. <laughs> you whistle to it, it like a falcon to come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, I, I didn't think I'd be on my own on this one. I love this ship. I always did. As you say, there was so little variety when it came to the original series because they were so strapped for cash that whenever you saw something different, it was nice. I mean, it wasn't until the third season of the original unremastered uh, show that you got the Klingon D7 battlecruiser. So this was like the only other ship other than the Enterprise and it's like that you'd seen. And I thought it was great. I, I do think it looks strong. I think... I like the fact that it seems like a fighter craft as opposed to like, the various Federation starships. They all seem like luxury liners in a way. And this looks like it's designed to be, you know, it's it's going to be fast. It's going to strike. It's going to disappear. You're not going to see it. I love the bird motif, as everybody's already mentioned. And the fact that it kind of comes up even amongst the uh, imbalance of terror with Styles saying, oh, you'll know the ships. They're painted mm -hmm. like a giant bird. And mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> I tried sure. to think about the poor, uh, the poor officers who have got to actually, you know, go around however big this thing is and paint the right. bird on the bottom of it. But, you know. What would you think if it didn't have the bird painted on the bottom, though? What if it was just that silver? Well, I mean, we've seen versions of it that are like that in, uh, in like, Enterprise. The Romulans use basically just the same design, but without the bird, and it's, it's colored mm. green. And I still think it's good. Mm. It's a good design. Like I said, it looks like it's nimble. It still is. It almost still has the kind of bird-like silhouette because of the nature of the way the nacelle struts are True, and the, yeah, the way it kind of... Yeah, it's angle. it's kind of pointed, and like I said, it looks like it's it's designed to actually be a warcraft as opposed to like we're out here exploring, having a good time, and if we happen to get into a fight, fair enough. And I think it's one of those things whereby, like I said, there's things in the original series, even for the '60s, that captured my imagination when they were done right. Uh, we've certainly brought up the likes of the Tholian web and stuff, and I think this was just one of them. Like you said, the first time you see it swooping in like a bird, and you see that design and the pattern on it, or the way it fires its plasma weapon, and I mean, the cloaking device was a brand new idea yeah. at the time as well. It was it was amazing. I mean, I, I like it. So I'm going to say it's a massive hit from me. And like I said, I'll be out on my own with that one, apparently. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, it's still three hits. Just, you know. That's one, true. Two, but, a, couple, uh... a couple of soft ones and a punch. <laughs> oh, don't say it like that. <laughs> I'm not hitting it. <laughs> Couldn't find it even if I wanted to. <laughs> so uh, the next one is another character, and there is a reason for this that I'll get into, uh, but hit or miss for the character of Yeoman Janice Rand. Now, I feel like we might have asked this before, and part of the reason is because I was reading that this is actually her, uh, the character's final appearance in the original series. If you go by, I think it's production order, maybe edit order, one of the two anyway, it's the last time the character appears until... Uh, the movies. So, yeah, DK, what do you make of uh, of Yeoman Rand, played by the late great Grace Lee Whitney, of course? I really liked the character. I was stoked when they actually, you know, yes, it was just cameos, but I was stoked when they brought her back in the movies because 
obviously she she went through trouble within her personal life and that's one of the reasons why she was no longer there but i i i like the character i like kind of where the character was going uh and especially in this episode you do kind of get that sense of closeness and i think it would have been interesting had she stayed to see that develop maybe uh, yes she didn't have a great deal of agency compared to you know the characters obviously these days it was very much of its time but uh, mm -hmm. yeah i've always liked janice i think she was a decent character and i think she was uh underserved by you know the writing at the time yeah i should say she actually claims by the way that any personal issues are nothing to do with why she was let go from the show she says it was simply because um, Gene Roddenberry wanted his wife on the show and they didn't want to have two blondes. So you got Nurse Chapel instead of Yeoman Rand, and that's the reason why she was kind of not appearing after that. Whether that's true or not, I'm not here to say one way or the other, but, you know, um, like yeah. I said, it's nice to have at least had a return in the movies, and I think that did rectify a lot of the 1960s attitudes around the character as well. So it gave her that agency that you say. She was, she was kind of missing. She actually was intelligent she had specialties she knew what she was doing and she wasn't just getting the captain coffee which occasionally did great i think a little bit um yeah but yeah that's fair enough and uh, what about you adrian yeah i was always glad to see um her i think she's a great actress um you know the writing w was so bad what they had her doing um and and when she came back i was thrilled i was really happy to see her yeah, yeah, I agree with. Of course, she was in the said. one episode of Voyager as well, and he, uh, which he came back in and flashback. We should have uh, mentioned that, but we didn't. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I was yeah. glad to see her back, and I, hey, I believe all the talk about what you know Roddenberry was kind of nefarious about certain things. So I'm on her side. <laughs> yeah, that makes. I mean, it makes sense one way or yeah. the other. But like I said, we're not here to litigate this after right, fifty odd years. But yeah, uh, but yeah, whatever. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's a great character. I'm glad to see her. I wish they had, that she the writing had been more suitable for women. Uh, they weren't just yeah. uh, yeah. helping men, you know, there to support men or hold on to them when they're apparently yeah. they're terrified and the men aren't. But yeah, I like. I her. do she's think great. it's a kind of it's it's a more of a step forward than we realize in this day and age, though, because I mean, if you watch the cage, they make a point mm -hmm. of Pike saying he's never even had a female yeoman before. Um, yeah, <laughs> they've always been men, and then even he even gets that moment of I'm not used to having women on the bridge, and yet when you get to the Kirk era, uh, Yeoman runs on the bridge constantly, and there's no, you know, batting an eye about the fact that it's a female Yeoman or anything. So I think it is, it's a step forward. I mean, it's not particularly great, but and mm -hmm. I do think I will say I think Grace Lee Whitney's a fantastic actress who shined through even some of the, tr you know, truly terrible writing that they gave her, mm -hmm. some of the abuse the character took, and some of the more cliched, you know feminine aspect shall we say was certainly uh written poorly but i think played brilliantly well and the acting shone through it so I i've always thought she was a huge hit and i think she's one of my mum's favorite characters as well because i just remember my mum liking the original series and talking yeah. a lot about it so yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to put it her acting shone through that's a good way to yeah 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 i think she's she's likable as well i think that's kind of that really helps no matter how bad the writing is because of the performance, you actually like the character. You're not sitting there going, oh, another victim complex, or, oh, she's being annoying again, or, oh, why don't you have more to do? You're just like, oh, I like this character. I'm happy when she's on screen. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I think that helps. 
Uh, right, so the next thing on here is not Romulan related, but it is from the original series. It's another episode, uh, just picked completely at random. And again, apologies if you are a regular listener and we've done this before. We, we may well have done. We've we've had so many hit or miss things at this point, but <laughs> at least we uh, can contribute again or for the first time in the case of people that weren't on that episode if we have done it. So yeah, hit or miss for the episode, Amok Time. And Ooh. if you are a Trek viewer who hasn't memorized every uh, episode, first of all, what are you doing here? And <laughs> secondly, <laughs> this is the one where Spock has to uh, obey the Vulcan mating urge and go back mm -hmm. to Vulcan to to mate with his betrothed to bring, and then in the end has a big fight with Kirk to that famous music and etc. etc. I'm sure you all remember it now. <laughs> so first appearance of Tapau, etc. So yeah, DK, what about we'll come to you first and think what, what do you think of Amok Time? In a pig's eye. Uh, I, I honestly, I, I, I can't, and you know, present company accepted if you do, fair enough, but I don't see how any Trek fan out there would label this a miss. It's one <laughs> of the iconic episodes for a reason. It's full of really good characters. I just, yeah, you, you get to the heart of the bond between Kirk and Spock. And I just, I just think it's really good. It's got some fantastic acting in it. Uh, you know, especially Nimoy when he thinks Kirk's died at his hands. Mm -hmm. You know, I yeah, think that he's yeah. spoilers yeah. has passed by now, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's yeah, I just absolutely it's one of the it I I I bought a tape. This is back way before the VHS tapes were released in the UK. And they released an X rental tape, I believe it was this one on the tape and the changeling. And mm. they'd obviously not even been anywhere. The remaster was just a fantasy term because the, the picture quality and the sound quality was dreadful. It wasn't official tape. Uh, well, I hasten to add. Uh, but yeah, I just watched it over and over again. I love it. I've got so many good memories of this one. So yeah, it's definitely hit. The fact that it's so famous that, I mean, they use the i can't remember i don't know what you would call it i think it probably does have a name but the, the sort of theme tune when kirk and spock are fighting is used in future armor as a kind of brief gag about play the ceremonial fight song and it's it's that and then obviously when strange new worlds revisits uh, these events in uh oh, the first season episode i forget the title of it um Spock and Mock, maybe the body swap episode uh they have a yes. scene on vulcan with again the exact same tune used which is exactly. like yeah, this i is do love iconic. that it's yeah, I do love that it's so iconic. They're now just playing around with the episode title in different things, like you said, Spock Amok and uh, yeah. Time Amok in yeah. over on Prodigy. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. love that, that, that they know the fans are so comfortable and so familiar with this one, they can start to play around with aspects of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what about you, Adrian, then, before I chime in? <laughs> Yeah, this is a fabulous episode. This is one of the first ones I can remember seeing. And her whole thing about, well, then I would have Stun. And you would do yeah. this and this, but I would still get Stun. And Stun would still want me. You know, that's a, a great logic pretzel that he gets stuck in. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I love this. This is a great episode. I love how they have these women of strength. These two wonderful actresses played these Vulcans. Mm -hmm. And they're just so, so strong and and. I love that that about it. Yeah, and also the fact that um, Lawrence Montagna plays Decius, and he also uh, plays <laughs> yeah. the commander. What's yeah? Oh yeah, and he plays Ston. So he's in. The, you know, I think yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. 
I was going to say that wasn't my objective, but yeah, Lawrence Mon- Montaigne, I think, believe it's pronounced. I, I could know. be wrong. Yeah, uh, Decius in Balance of Terror, the uh, the uh, person who gets dressed down for sending a message, gets reduced two steps in rank, etc., and then also returned in a mock time. And, oh, but uh, see, he yeah. still got the girl. He messed up. Yeah, and well, still got the girl. <laughs> I would argue that that's not particularly a good thing the way she's portrayed in a mock time. But you know, yeah. certainly if you're going to say the girl portrayed in Strange New Worlds, I wouldn't be complaining. <laughs> but, yeah. that's an so entirely that's, I mean, other story you should mention by the way that uh, we haven't <laughs> mentioned her but I think it's Celia Lovsky the character, the actress, sorry, who plays um, Tapau, so famous that she spawned the name of a sort of soft rock band here in the UK yeah, um, <laughs> I remember that yeah, yeah, she's great she is great yeah, she's a fantastic yeah. character and, uh, she also returned by the way, that character in Enterprise which I think we forget sometimes that yeah, Enterprise had Tapau in it in its fourth season mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I only have one more then because I think we've all basically said I'm time massive hit. Um, it, by the way, this wasn't why I included it, but I when I asked about Balance of Terror, a lot of people started giving their kind of top five TOSs, and there was a severe lack of mock time, which I wasn't pleased with. So I'm pleased to see oh, we really? all thought it was a hit. We'd probably all have it in the top five. I think it's it's a huge pivotal episode. Develops things like the Ponfar, the Vulcan planet, mm-hmm. the people, right. the culture. It's yeah. it's huge to me. So yeah, yeah massive huge. hit on my end. It's a huge for the Vulcan culture. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's shocking for us to see, you know, and the first time people were watching this, I'm sure they're like, what is happening right now? You know, Spock has, you know, he's going to kill him and all this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just even the concept of Ponfar, though, you know, that's Mm -hmm. highly logical. So they repress everything, but naturally they have to every seven years give in to this mating urge and it's kind of like it's such a genius sci-fi concept that we all take for granted because we know it and yet it had to start somewhere you know Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. yeah so this last one is blindingly obvious but we've mentioned obviously the uh the actor who played Decius returned uh to play a different Vulcan role and of course the actor who played the Romulan commander also returned in a different role so it will miss for the character as played by Mark Leonard of Sarek Spock's father what do we think? DK, I'll come to you first. I love Sarek. I love I I'll I'll be completely honest. I love him more in the movies. Uh, mm. uh I think I I didn't see uh Babel until long after I'd seen most of the movies. So he was so cold in that first episode, and I know that was the intent, but mm. I I like how he warmed up later in the franchise but uh yeah matt leonard fantastic and loves herrick i was so sad to uh to see him go in unification yeah but it was great i mean even his next gen appearance was fantastic when you think about it oh it yeah really yeah awesome uh what about you then adrian <laughs> yeah huge Sarek fan uh huge representation for um why spock is like how he is versus his his mom you know, yeah. great character. I love how they wrote him, and I loved how his interactions with Patrick Stewart, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, great, great character. Yeah, and I would have to say the same. Hit. I'm with you, DK. I prefer. Well, I like the character more, shall we say, during the movies because he gets to display more about his honor and the emotion that's under the surface and things like that. But I don't hate him during Journey to Babel. I understand why you would. Um, but I get. I mean, oh, no, I, think no, I, I mean, I don't. I don't hate him. I, it's just. It's, it's a little. It seems. It's like. It's like hanging out with a friend, and then all of a sudden the friend starts acting acting really remote. That's the mm-hmm. impression I 
got when I came back to Babel after watching, say, you know, the voyage, the voyage home for like mm. twenty right. times in on agreed, a agreed. Yeah, it's it's it is kind of jarring the way he yeah. is in Babel, and I hadn't seen Babel to be honest uh, in years. And you know, Sark was a, a friend, a pal, and then all of a sudden, ooh, younger Sark is a grouch. <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> I still think it's a great performance. I kind of. I mean, we'll get into it. I think the Romulan commander is the better performance. I think Mark Leonard probably agrees with that as well. Mm -hmm. But I love the way he uh, portrays Sarek. And I think there's a reason that character kept on coming back, even, you know, played by other actors or whatever else as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing else really to see. I think massive hit, like I said, well portrayed. And for me, I think it, it was nice to see a little bit of why Spock was the way he was in that explanation. But I I got it. I understood it. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. Journey to Babel, like I said, I think it was, it's another great episode that we haven't looked at yet, but hopefully will one day. And uh, yeah, great hit for the, the character from me. So yeah, that was a remarkably positive hit on this section. I swear, sometimes we do have uh, friendly debates back and forth, but I suppose a remarkably positive one for the first episode back in this series and the first time on a new network, <laughs> shall we say, is perhaps a good thing, but... Yeah, I mean, and if you agree or disagree, feel free, of course, to get in touch with us or debate among yourselves if you're listening at home. Friendly debate, mind. And uh, yeah, yeah, imagine if they'd have started listening to us on our Borg debate episode. <laughs> it wasn't the Borg, it was the specific Borg in season two of Picard, which, in my defense, yeah. the rock clearly agreed with me because. They even literally have the character of Thor in season three go, forget about that crap that happened on the Star Wars last year. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Well, the next section then is going to be the actual, the main review, the bulk of the episode that we have, uh, that we're dealing with here. Uh, so the section that I like to say is going to begin the analysis of the episode. That's fine. Analysis. So, uh, as I said, today we are looking at the episode Balance of Terror. Uh, it makes sense to start our Romulan episodes with the very first appearance of the Romulans. So, yeah, I have a tiny bit of behind-the-scenes information, hopefully that won't be too boring for the audience as I go through it and for my guests here. But again, guests, if you want to chime in at any point, something that you wanted to add that I may have overlooked or that you wanted to uh, uh, you know, chime in about one way or the other, then feel free to do that. And... I have a little bit of music that I can hopefully play that might be copyright free in the background to sort of, uh, you know, ease my droning voice while I'm going through this. So let me just see if I can get that going. Hopefully it won't crash my computer. <laughs> oh. I recognize this music. Can you hear it? <laughs> I can. Yeah, Yes, thanks to Tangless Journey for this one. So, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, uh, this episode, Balance of Terror, saw the introduction of the Romulan Star Empire in Star Trek. Paul Schneider, the episode writer, is credited with creating the Romulans. Schneider remarked it was a matter of developing a good Romanesque set of admirable antagonists that were worthy of Kirk. I came up with the concept of the Romulans, which was an extension of the Roman civilization to the point of space travel, and it turned out quite well. I think we kind of saw the, the links there, Romulus, Remus, etc. Um, associate producer, story editor John D.F. Black said about Schneider, he was the father of the Romulans, not Gene, not me, not anyone else but Paul Schneider. And when he came up with the Romulan characters, they were so wonderful. I mean, they were full. I liked that script a lot. <clears throat> 
Islands of Terror introduces cloaking devices to the Star Trek universe. While this episode suggests that there are new development in interstellar history, Enterprise in episodes like Broken Bow Onwards and Discovery in things like the Vulcan Hello establish that Starfleet has encountered Sulaban and Klingon cloaks in the past, in the years 2151 and 2256 respectively. And yes, that does bug me no end. <laughs> but um, we've already mentioned this, but two of the actors playing Romulans later played Vulcans, Mark Leonard Sarek and Lawrence Montaigne Stone. Uh, the Romulan helmets shown aboard the Romulan bridge were designed to cover the ears of the actors. This saved the additional cost of creating prosthetic ear points for each of the supporting actors. They were reused in a mock time on Vulcans and the Enterprise incident for the same reason. Uh, as an homage, Captain Picard's wedding remarks in the Next Generation episode's date as day are almost the same as those Kirk uses. Uh, this episode contains the first mention of Romulus's neighbouring planet Remus, which later appears prominently in Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, Gene Roddenberry picked this as one of his 10 favourite episodes for the franchise's 25th anniversary, and during Spock's overview of the Romulans, he mentions the planets Romulus and Remus. The map of the Romulan side of the neutral zone shows Romulus, but the other major planet is labelled Romai. R-O-M-I-I. It's not known whether or not this is an alternate name for Remus, or that it is an incorrect usage of the Roman numeral I to designate the planet Rom 2 or Romulus 2. But again, believe me, that bugs me no end, as I've mentioned already to DK. Uh, I think just yesterday when we were discussing the episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could have done with them correcting like said, that one when they were doing <laughs> Yeah, like I said, maybe the Remans refer to Romulus as Michelle. <laughs> yeah, Romai and Michelle's high school reunion. <laughs> so yeah, I've kind of kept the BTS to a little bit of a minimum. So that's all I have other than bits and pieces that I've maybe dotted in with the, you know, the sections that we're going to look at. So uh, yeah, I'm going to come to uh, to each of you and ask what you... Initial spoiler-free impressions of the episode, and do you even remember the first time you saw it and how you were affected then? And uh, because you're our guest, Adrienne, I'll come to you first this time, why not? All right. I don't really remember the first time I saw it, because um, it it didn't look interesting when I would have been watching it, these things as a little kid. Uh, really, just the interesting makeup is really what I like to see, all the weird costumes. Mm. But, um, yeah, watching it now, um, I'm loving it. I'm I'm loving this episode. Cool, fair enough. And uh, DK, what have you? It it pretty much mirrors uh, Adrienne's. Uh, when I was a kid, I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I do recoiling from this one whenever it was mentioned or brought up. I just as a, as a child in general, it just wasn't that interesting to me. I was huh. incredibly surprised how much I enjoyed it this time around. Fair enough. And I loved it from the first time I saw it, really enough. I don't know why. Um, maybe I was just a very cerebral child. I say child, I was probably like 10 or 11 the first time I saw it. I doubt my mum would have let me watch it as a youngster, or perhaps I wouldn't have been interested because, like you, it was like, well, there's not a weird salt sucking monster in this episode. I'm not going to watch it on board. So, never yeah. Mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where's the, where's, the, where's the weird monster that's supposed to come from around that same rock? <laughs> well, we don't need one every episode. Jeez. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we need one every day. <laughs> Go watch Star Wars. That's what that's for. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, um, if you are new here, and again, you may well be, uh, we break our kind of uh, review of these episodes into sections very loosely, but things like starting with writing plot, then the direction, VFX, the acting, uh, the music and sound. Um, and then we'll explain the rest as we go on after the, uh, the review proper. Um, as I said, if the conversation flows a particular different way that goes into a different section, we don't stick rigidly to it. We just follow that as need be. And hopefully you can follow along uh, as you're listening as well. So 
Um, the first thing I have kind of down to look at is the writing and the plot, which kind of seems a little obvious. Um, and again, I have a couple of bits of information. Bear with me. I know I just spouted a lot in the BTS, but this is only a couple of things that I wanted to get out because they kind of come up a lot during the audience responses as well and stuff. Uh, so let me just say the Star Trek Compendium stated that this episode was essentially a sci-fi version of the submarine film The Enemy Below, depicting a cat and mouse game between the Enterprise as the American destroyer against a Romulan vessel as the U-boat. Mm. Director Vincent McAviti had seen the 1957 film The Enemy Below, but only noticed the similarities between its plot and this episode later. He admitted, obviously, it's the same story. Uh, the book Star Trek The Original Series 365 suggests that Schneider may also have been inspired by another submarine film, Run Silent, Run Deep. The authors note that the film contains a similar plot thread of an officer longing for vengeance, as well as the tactic of releasing wreckage and bodies from a damaged vessel in order to mislead the opposing ship. Uh, and the aforementioned Star Trek compendium also mentions this film as inspiration along with The Enemy Below. So yes, th thank you so much to everyone when we do get to the audience response who commented that. I'm very aware it's a U-boat story, it's a submarine story in space. I appreciate all of you chiming in to, <laughs> to educate us on that. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's very obvious. I think once you once you know it, if you didn't at the time, you do now. But uh, yeah, we can kind of certainly view it with that lens, and I think it it's it helps explain some things, perhaps at the very least. So, uh, what do you think about uh, that in general, then, DK? And the did you get the sense, the feel of a kind of uh, you know a run silent, run deep situation or something like that? I did. Uh, my father is very into to war movies, so I had experienced that even as a small child. That that film, and there was, right. you know, a lot of uh, a lot of similarities, shall we say? It is. It's basically Das Boat in space uh, when you yeah. look at it, and it's <laughs> it's. But you don't see it that often, for what the ships are, and I, and I believe. You know, you might see later in the movies they they jazzed them up a bit, they Star Warsified them a bit, but you do see you do see a return to that later on in Wrath of Khan. But I love mm. it in this. It's it's you get such a tense claustrophobic feeling that you know, especially when the the Romulan ship uses it's uh, you know what they refer to as invisibility cloak. It's <laughs> it is tense. They don't know where it is, so they are kind of flying blind as it were and then you get the whole situation with the uh the atomic uh canister and you know akin to depth mm. charges it's it it wears its influences on its sleeve but it doesn't cheapen it i think it uh, it works really well and it's it was a nice turn of events it was a nice a nice twist on the usual star trek format which you know you know at this point which is go down to a planet as you've said, salt sucking monster, someone that Kirk can uh, can oodle with for a little while, Pro maybe a manic computer, problem solved. Uh, yeah, this was a a nice little twist, and I really uh, I really enjoyed it. Really dug it this time around. Yeah, and uh, forgive me if I get the number wrong, but I, yeah, we should say or you know, as as Melvar and Futurama says, the nine episodes with the energy creatures <laughs> as well. <laughs> you know, Kirk canoodling going down to a planet, monsters, or you know, bits of gas. <laughs> that will probably turn out to be a child and their parents are angry at them or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this this is it's science fiction, don't get me wrong, but it's also, like you said, it's a military sort of story that just happens to be set in space. And it's amazing that they as early as episode nine or ten, whichever it is, I forget, um, that they were telling a story like this, that they were confident enough that people would still watch it and 
and get it and understand and that the actors would act it out as seriously as well, you know, as if it was you, you a Das Boot or a U-Boat story, whatever in space. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, it what is, is very edge of seat stuff. Yeah, yeah, very. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's it's tense. It's it, it, There is actual nervous tension. And uh, yeah, Adrienne, what about you? Yeah, I agree. Um, the tension. Um, I hadn't seen those other submarine movies, um, yeah. but the, just the there you the parallels on the ships of how they start to realize that they're uh, evenly matched. These two captains, or this captain and his commander, um, and how just out of nowhere, you know, they're like evasive maneuvers because only the captains know what's uh, what's happening or what's about to come. And I, I thought I loved that aspect of it. I loved the claustrophobic feelings of it. I loved how we got to see inside the Romulan ship. I just thought that was genius how they're, oh, look, uh, look, there's this mysterious signal. Let's see what it is. And all of a sudden we can see inside the Romulan ship. And I just thought that was fantastic. And yeah, I love how I mean, uh, the junior officers are questioning leadership. Like, I just love that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit iffy in terms of, I mean, I don't know if a military person would be quite so openly insubordinate, I mean, I, towards certainly I, Spock, I, you know. Yeah, I, but I don't that's call why him, it was I don't so call him Styles, I call him Lieutenant Exposition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you say that, but I mean, Leonard Nimoy gets the bulk of the exposition, he's just really good at it. Because you yeah. so you don't notice when he's like, um, oh, you know, Vulcan like Earth had its aggressive colonizing period, and we were savage, and so if we don't fight back, and it's just kind of like, this is yeah, just part the of the exposition because he's. You know. The thing is, it's a it's Nimoy, and b used to that kind of exposition from Nimoy because you know he's Spock, he does that a lot, but inserting mm. a character just for that purpose, it, it I'm not going to say it takes me out of it, but you just think, okay, oh, I like okay. it. Yeah. yeah, I like it, which we'll get into. I'm sure we'll get into, but I like it because I like the, what what that's able to comment on. But going back to the kind of Nemoy thing, I think the writing and the acting sells you. But I remember one of my favorite things in the episode is when it literally is just an exposition scene. It's like Kirk asking Spock to brief them, and he's like going through the history of oh, where we've been at war with them for years. You know, a Cold War, but we had a big war. 100 years ago that was fought with primitive weapons and it was uh, the treaty was done by radio no human or romulan has seen each other the humans believe romulans to be warlike and savage and only the romulans know what they think of humans and it's kind of like it's it's well written enough that you don't mind but then once you've seen this a few times which i obviously have when you get to that scene you're kind of like yeah this is info dump for the next minute and a half or so isn't it so yeah it's kind of spock reading from the star trek encyclopedia under romulans <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, did you think that during that scene, or would you? Did you just not even notice? I'll let Adrian speak. No, I I noticed. I like how you said the the Star Trek encyclopedia kind of a thing. But yeah, we we need to know. This is the first time we're meeting these characters, and we need to know all this background. So yeah, we needed it. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, I mean, we have touched on this. Um, but yeah, moving on to the character of Styles and his role in the story, I love it because I love, like I said, that it gives you a chance to comment on the potential bigotry uh, of war and of these particular conflicts. And again, stroke of genius that we take for granted the idea that the Vulcans and Romulans are, you know, essentially the same species from their inception. And the way that kind of gives you the the tense moments of this episode and a little bit of an 
you know, an excuse for, well, I guess not really an excuse, but a reason why Styles would be quite so bigoted in an uncomfortable way for the future. Um, but yeah, it's nice that Kirk gets the chance to dress him down and, and point out his, you know, uh, or even the moments of saying, well, look, it was their war, not yours. Don't forget that, you know. Um, and what did you make of Styles then as a character and as of that plot line, Adrian? Yeah, I, I, it was necessary to have everybody just be calm and have Styles kind of be a hothead about it because, you know, in the end, Spock saves him. And yeah. it kind of can bring to light certain, yes. you know, prejudices that he had. But the guy, you know, for the 60s acting, it was pretty dramatic. <laughs> but, uh, mm. yeah, he would have been sent off the bridge right away if he had been acting like that in real life. But, yeah. Well, I was going to say, as somebody who served in the Navy, <laughs> I'm assuming you would never have seen anybody acting like that to a superior officer and getting away with it. But, uh, yeah, he, he really kind of... Uh, you lost it a little bit, but I love all the reactions when everybody realizes that the Romulans are and the Vulcans are obviously mm. related. Like everybody is shocked, and and Spock just raises an eyebrow. <laughs> I love that scene. That's such that entire thing is so brilliantly and beautifully directed. Mm -hmm. From the the moment that you get the screen turning on, and then Mark Leonard turns to reveal it, and then as you said, the zoom in on Spock and just the single eyebrow raise. Right. Well, also a good scene. Mark Leonard. <laughs> turns to look at the camera yeah. everybody's looking at mark leonard but styles turns and looks at spock and he's steady yeah. glaring at him the whole time so it kind of gives you an indication early on that this guy is um a wild card this kid styles yeah, yeah. well i mean like i said he, he it does try to give you that backstory of well he lost family during the romulan mm -hmm. war he doesn't trust yeah. him and he may have reason to suspect there are spies yeah in the enterprise that's it's, it's not that you know, unheard of. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I like what he's there to do. Obviously, I don't like the character, but I do love, I mean, everybody that sees this episode comments on it, but I do love the way Kirk sort of immediately says, you know, he, here's one thing you can be sure of, leave any bigotry in your quarters, there's no room for it on the bridge. Yeah. Beautiful right. Star Trek oh, moment you, right there. Can you, <laughs> the woke. I can't believe they were doing this back then. <laughs> <laughs> Just forcing yeah, it down people's throats. I remember when Star Trek wasn't too. woke. <laughs> Remember the first nine episodes when it wasn't all woke? Yeah. <laughs> the first nine episodes. That's funny. Yeah. You're not wrong, DK. You're not wrong. People I mean, some people have so commented, ignorant. I think, that... Um, I know, but uh, people have commented, oh, maybe it's perhaps even not as far advanced as it would be because it would be... Nowadays, it would be more like there's no room for bigotry at all, let alone leave it in your quarters. But I think that's a little churlish and that's a little bit over-examining it and... Like I said, I think the way Kirk immediately dresses him down is brilliant. And again, I've seen this episode a lot of times, but watching it with an eye to review this time, I noticed so many little moments between Kirk and Styles, and it's just mm -hmm. little things that are just Kirk, not outright, you know, causing a scene, but just basically letting him know, I'm not putting up with your crap, mister. Mm -hmm. And there's That's a brilliant right. scene when they're like, they're trying to stay quiet and Kirk's kind of pacing the bridge and Styles is just either staring at Spock or on at the screen and Kirk just taps his console like, to your work, buddy. <laughs> like, focus over here. And I'm just like, that's such a, it's such a little acting moment from Shatner, but I'd love to think that was like improvised and it's just him like, yo, <laughs> pay attention. Yeah, you know? focus on your so, job, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's not your exactly. work. Right. And uh, you've kind of already made most of your feelings clear, DK, but did you have anything else you wanted to add about, uh, about Styles in this particular plot? I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I do like the character, but 
as is the nature of the t of TV, episodic TV back then, you would have these characters show up, play their parts, such as you know the 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 married couple. Well, not quite married mm. couple in this, and then once mm -hmm. you know they would go on to do other things. Uh, but it would have been nice. I think it would have been nice to see Styles show up in a couple of episodes, maybe before this, just drop the odd line. I would have felt mm. that the character was kind of more rounded and not just there for plot reasons. But it is what it is. As I say, it's episodic TV and, you know, you, you have your regulars and it was very different to, to TV now. But I do like it. I love the line with, with Kirk and the bigotry. I also like the nice little... Uh, I love this, the scene where they're having the briefing around the table and styles really like let's rip into it and then spock turns around and goes i agree uh, i love yeah, that yeah little, yeah <laughs> that little moment yeah. and i just think that shines uh so yeah i do think he had some fantastic uh some fantastic lines i think he was a decent character i do like that he had sort of a redemption arc within the 50 minutes that we got it just would have been nice to see him maybe before and then his prejudices against Spock would have been, to me as a viewer, more not necessarily shocking, but yeah, you know, more, they would stand out a little more if 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 you know what I mean, because I think, you'd have gotten yeah, used to I the did... character by then, and then to suddenly see him yeah. drop this attitude when confronted yeah. with something that you know he has a personal history with, I think that would have had added more depth to it. I think you are right, but I think it's also, it's, I mean, you've got to remember, like I said, this is not even a dozen episodes into the show and it's 1960s television where, you know, you can't, they were airing out of order anyway. So you can't have anything in one episode that isn't, you know, it resolved by the end of the episode or isn't able to be watched as its own thing. Um, yeah. And I mean, even within that, they do have some little bits of continuity. You do see um, Angela Martin again, for example, a couple of times. She seems to got over her dead fiance pretty quickly by the next time. But yeah, this is what Adrian was telling me about. <laughs> really? Yeah, she's just yeah. When you went offline, that's what we were talking about, Martine, and how she was lost her fiance, and then the next episode, she's hanging on another dude at, at shore leave. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But uh, yeah, I think it's 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 testament to the way TV was made back then, and I still appreciate it because I like. I mean, the alternative would be to give one of the regulars this attitude which i think would kind of it would sully them too much uh yeah. if it yeah. was you know if it was sulu or uhura or somebody acting like that obviously that's a whole other kettle of fish because of their place in terms of their ethnicity and, and culture in the 60s as well but if it was a beloved regular character acting like that you would be a lot less forgiving um and it does give you a chance to get that whole as you said to, to have an entire arc for styles and to come full circle at the end of you saved my life and I've been nothing but a jerk to you. And, you know, clearly this is just bigotry. I, I now have to acknowledge that fact. But, yeah. yeah. Um, Good for him. I think Styles is, you know, how they have a somebody in a movie or a TV episode who's, it's just fridging you. Mm. He, Styles yeah. is the opposite of that. You know, it's somebody that we're supposed to not like. So we can yeah, see the other characters develop. Yeah basically yeah he's never off. portrayed as being in the right for feeling the way he right. does absolutely uh so. right and, and, and you, when you look at it he is kind of responsible for the guy's death well not really no, 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 no. Okay. If, it not, if it if it had not told spock to bugger off out of the uh the control room 
then they could have noticed a leak. Spock could have helped them. You know, you yeah. could still be alive. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I suppose that's an extra layer to it, yeah. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Well, um, yeah, to that note, we're going to have a slight uh, sort of just break and, and grab a cup of tea or something. If you're listening on Subspace, we'll just uh, take five and we'll be back to discuss more about the writing and the various things of this episode later. So, thank you. Action. We're the Silver Screen Podcast. Hey there, film buffs. I'm DK, your cult movie uber geek, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Wilson. That's right, folks. We're your guides through the world of cinema, from beloved classics to the hottest films in the zeitgeist. On the Silver Screen Podcast, we dive deep into film culture. Join us as we review movies with honesty and respect, offering our unique take on what makes them tick. And don't forget our Silver Screen Cult Classics episodes. We'll take you on a journey through the hidden gems, the cult films that deserve more love, and the stories behind them. With a blast welcoming all manner of movie-loving guests for lively discussion and to share our love of films. Their passion and knowledge make every episode a cinematic adventure. Plus, we'll give you our own scores straight from the heart out of five stars. You'll hear our honest verdict no matter how much we geek out about a film. And remember what Arnie said, we'll be back. So don't miss a single episode of the Silver Screen Podcast. Subscribe now to the Silver Screen Podcast YouTube channel or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's embark on a cinematic journey like no other. Whether you're a casual moviegoer or a true cinephile, the Silver Screen Podcast is your ticket to film magic. And cut. Right, yeah, I mean, so we've talked a little bit about, well, quite a lot about sort of styles and that and, uh, you know, the nature of the submarines in space. But uh, I have a few other things that I wanted to kind of talk about uh, under the writing that I've just got as kind of headlines. Um, I don't want to sort of lead the conversation of them all, so I'll throw over to you guys to, to see if any of them match what you might think and, and your thoughts on them. But I will just get us carrying on with the next one that I have, if I can find it, uh, which is, let's see. Oh, um, the McCoy and Kirk speech in the episode, which has become, I think, pretty famous and which I must say I love. Uh, the idea that Kirk is kind of world weary and kind of he, he doesn't take his duty lightly and he's accepting this responsibility. And then McCoy giving him that beautiful kind of very Star trek -y, There's so many millions of planets and yet only one of each of us. And I love that scene. I think it's, it's the kind of scene that would be cut potentially if you're trying to get an episode down. But I also think it's so vital to the episode, even if you don't think it's 100 percent, you know, related to the plot or necessary. Um, would you agree with me, uh, Adrienne? And what do you think of that scene? I love that scene. And it's amazing because um, that's a scene that they always played when they're talking about DeForest Kelly and his acting in that part. And when he passed mm -hmm. away, like they played that scene a lot. Um, yeah, that's that's a beautiful scene, to be honest. The way yeah, that I he puts his hand on his arm and everything and. Yeah, it's so good and it's it's mm -hmm. so well played. But as you say, it's just it's a great summation of Star Trek because it has the, the you know the the weight of duty and responsibility, the nature of space exploration and everything, and the nature of friendship all in there. So I've seen it a lot because it's often a clip that they show just to represent the original series. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen, I've mentioned before that I watched like the Star Trek 30 year celebrations and whenever they were like, and this was the original series, that was one of the key clips that they showed, mm -hmm. possibly because it's short as well, but it also, like I said, just sums up a lot of what you get from Star Trek in that scene. Yeah, um, and it's beautifully shot because it's really more about McCoy. Yeah. Talking yeah. to him, kind of taking a stand for humanity, really. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, you, just, you see McCoy's genuinely concerned for his friend, but he's also giving Kirk the support. So, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And again, as much as Chatner gets crap, he's he's gracious enough to give 
D. Kelly that moment, I think, as well, and, and let him have that scene. Yeah. Because uh, he's shine. not really even facing the camera, you know? Right. So, and he's, yeah. he's so much the heart of this whole series, you know? Got to have that. Oh, completely. Can't yeah, just all absolutely. be military, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it fades into what a lot of people have always said, which is one of the strengths of the original series is that triumvirate of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy representing, you know, Spock, pure logic, McCoy, pure emotion, Kirk, the nice balance in between. Mm -hmm. And it, it's into that role. That's what McCoy's doing there, the emotional side of, like, you know, just to support yourself, be there for yourself, don't destroy yourself to to make these decisions, you know. And, uh, yeah, I like it. What about you, DJ? <laughs> Yeah, as you say, it, it would probably be one of those scenes these days that would be cut, but it's a it's it's a beautiful character moment, and I, and I, yeah. especially in an episode that I think is laced with these kind of moments, people diss old uh you know the old sixty Star Trek for its corniness, but you look at an episode like this and it's just full of great writing and great acting, and. Mm -hmm. It, it to me it just it, it's one of those that shuts the naysayers up yeah i have to agree i have to say so yeah and so as i said i, I know there's some key things that are obvious so i wanted to throw it over to you and see if you had any of them and if not i can always chime back in uh, but did you have anything you wanted to mention that uh, sort of stands out amongst the, the plot ideas me myself or well you, you or adrian either one really. i was i was gonna say uh i love leonard's portrayal in this but it's only half of the the reason why i like this particular episode as far as romulans go mm -hmm. yes you've obviously got his I, I forget his name the underling that sends the uh the decius to the praetor yeah decius apart from decius i get i just get a strong sense of honor and duty from the Romulan mm -hmm. character in this. Yes, he's world weary and he's seen enough of war. He doesn't want to keep doing this kind of thing. And I think that's why I like this character before they kind of went down the subterfuge and the sneak route that Decius portrayed. I think they kind of explored the wrong angle. Maybe that's just me. Maybe, as I say, my viewpoint will change. I did like the world weariness of... Uh, the Romulan commander, and I uh, mm. and I felt a more of a more of a kinship with the Romulans in this episode than I have in pretty much anything since, because you know I yeah. just I, I I just don't like that they went down the uh, the cat and mouse you know shady route. I think that's I what, what puts mean. me off. It, it gets a little tiresome after a while, and you know you get those traits in in everyone in every race in every person every walk of life so at this point Decius could have just been it could have just been his personality I think it's when they started to take that trait and apply it across the entire Romulan military that I started kind of losing interest a little I completely agree with than... you about um yeah this Romulan commander but I think you'll be surprised at how many more characters there are that are certainly not as good as this but certainly like this and not you know, just out for the, the sneaky Romulan. We just want to conquer everything that you might think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see as we go on. Because, yeah. I mean, in a strange twist of fate, during the uh, during the original series, if you look at Balance of Terror and you look at... Oh, crikey. I forgot the name. The John Colicos Klingon episode. Errand of Mercy. Errand of Mercy. The, the traits for the Romulans and Klingons 
the almost reversed to me. Uh, the Klingons in Errand of Mercy, especially Kolikos, is nasty, he's sneaky, he's vicious. Whereas Mark Leonard's character, as a Romulan, is all honour bound, all duty. Mm -hmm. And it's mm. interesting to me that as it's gone on, the Klingons seem to be the more honour bound race. Whereas the viciousness, and again, you know, I'll, I, I could have my mind changed during this season, but the viciousness seems to have been played up in the uh, the Romulan side as things have gone on. Yeah, there's not there's not as much obvious nobility to the Romulans as there is in this episode, or as there is. I'll also may disagree uh, with Klingons. I think oftentimes portrayed as well with a bit more noble intentions and a bit more honor. But again, I think there is those characters in those episodes there, which hopefully we'll get to and, and we'll reach. But I'm completely with you. Nothing I think has reached this level with this Romulan commander of, you know. And again, it's it's just reiterating the episode. But things like you said, I'm sick. I'm tired of endless war. I find myself wishing will be destroyed. I mean, I'm too professional to let it happen, but. If we come back and we've destroyed this ship or we've destroyed the outposts and gotten back, then our gift to the homeland is endless war. You know, who wins in this? <laughs> and you just you really yeah. feel for him. And again, it's it's goes, you know, it perhaps bears saying that in 1960s, having an enemy character that you can empathize that much with, that they're yeah. not just as I mean, especially in TOS, which let's be honest, had its occasional more than occasional mustache twirling villain that you could just you know, boo, hiss at, and they had no redeeming qualities. It's such an incredible character, this Romulan commander, where you're just like, huh. It makes you think about the enemy as you view it, or at least I hope it does, in society today. And I think, you know, that might have been the intent. Sorry, go ahead, DK. I'm wondering how it would have been perceived back then. Obviously, none of us were around back then to judge it. But you say, it's you know, it's just a, a substitute for the uh, the uh, vagina kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm I'm just wondering how that would have been perceived, or would it have had you know, like you do these days, if it would have had a certain subsection of people watching the TV green. Okay, switch it off. That's enough propaganda. I think people were less inclined to look for that in in that day and age. And there's a famous quote that I, I wish I could remember by Roddenberry, but it basically goes along the lines of, "The reason I wanted to make a science fiction show was that we could talk about war." and sex and disease and all of these things that you'd never normally get on the air and it went right over the network's head so they're just basically it was his way of sneaking these things in and i mean if you look at the original series there is a lot of that a lot of episodes do actually comment on real world things like that and i don't think anybody watching this would have come away immediately thinking that was a representation of yeah. us and the communists or or even us and the nazis or whatever else but i think it is there and hopefully like you see under the surface something got through um but like I said, people, I, th I think nowadays, they're looking for excuses to say, oh, it's woke propaganda, it's, it's yeah, left wing, it's whatever Yeah, they're looking else. for reasons to stoke their own culture wars. Looking at this character, the Romulan commander, and you see his, you know, his weariness, and, and you are, you, you're given, you, you are given in no uncertain terms that this person who is supposed to be regarded as the enemy is just like us. They have the same weaknesses, they have the same tires of mm -hmm. you know they're tired of war and i'm just wondering if anybody back then would have watched it and done that thing and just said you know goddamn commies i'm not sympathizing with them turn it off i don't know because i think it's if you want to get down the rabbit hole of like pretending it's real <laughs> you know uh galaxy quest style then i do think that the the way that the destruction of <laughs> but the way it portrays the destruction of Outpost 4, I think it is, and the death of Hansen is so brutal and so horrible 
that you kind of, as much as you empathize with the Robin Commander, you also think, yeah, but that was evil. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind of, you still did that, which is still pretty unforgivable. Um, you know, it was a sneak attack. You you used your weapon to decimate through shields and, and whatever else. And so it's interesting, I think, that it portrays that because it could easily have just kept it all off screen and been like, four of our outposts have been destroyed. There's 17 dead. And it's a lot easier to ignore that as a viewer and just kind of wash that away as casualties of war, whatever else. But that brutality, I think, is very, very deliberately present, which is perhaps undercuts that a little bit, but hopefully not too much. But it's just it's an interesting scene, I think, to comment, to to see why it's there and to, to mention. To give it that I, yeah, balance, as it were, as if you know, yeah. we're only following orders kind of thing. Yeah. And again, I mean, following it to its logical conclusion, you could say, well, it's the, it's the commander doing what his government wants him to do. You don't. You, it's not like he necessarily wanted to do that. He's testing a new weapon and he's not looking at this as cost of life or empathy or anything else. And so he's just doing, as you said, his duty. But again, that I think it's an, interesting that related to what you were saying about like duty being an honorable thing, it's not always portrayed that way. It's like it, it, there's a so, certain degree of I was only following orders, I think, at present year as well. That's kind of like, hmm, but you did it. <laughs> you know, you still crossed the neutral zone, destroyed multiple outposts horribly. And, you know, now you're complaining about it, but it's a little bit too late. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, that's me playing devil's advocate a little bit because I think, I mean, it is there and it is for a purpose, but I do think you'd find yourself empathizing with the commander regardless and that he didn't necessarily want to do that. And, you know, hopefully he's not. I mean, he's not certainly portrayed as like, haha, more Federation lives that we've killed, these vicious dogs or whatever. Um, so, you know, it is, but it, it's, yeah. it's interesting that it's there all the same. Yeah. That's been like kind of transposed onto this mystery praetor that's off screen. So, yeah, what about you, Adrian? We haven't really come to you for a while. What do you think of all of this and uh, uh, that we've been discussing? Well, I blame Mark Leonard's amazing acting. Mm. We're going to empathize with him because he himself is playing this character so sincerely and he has some lines that show his quote humanity end quote so that could be a huge reason why we st even though he ordered our outposts blown apart which mm. really is his leader his the praetor or whoever actually you know sent him on yeah. this mission but you know mark leonard's just so great playing that character <laughs> that we can't help it yeah. And I will say, I mean, in terms of to turn it back around, if you want to look at like an eye for an eye, as much as it's really brutal, the way that we see Hansen getting killed and less brutal, we do see that he still suffers the consequence because his friend, the Centurion, gets killed. And it is still, a, as you say, because of the performance, it's a very sad moment when I think it's Decius says we can get him some help and he just goes, there's no need, the Centurion's dead. And, you know, he just uses his body to look like debris after that because, you know, okay. got to do something. So mm -hmm. he does still suffer his own loss. That he, Again, it's interesting that the episode shows you that. Um, yeah, that's yeah. war, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's nobody's winning on, on this, you know, nobody's and, and both sides mm -hmm. are, are taking their hits and mm -hmm. it's, it's ultimately mm -hmm. futile, which, as you say, hopefully people got, but maybe they didn't at the time and... We can only look back and hope. <laughs> yeah, but it also yeah. shows the fact, you know, that there are these two captains and these two crews. Neither of them wants war, and they're being mm. pushed into committing these acts by those above them. Yeah, but having said that, I mean, again, in terms of analyzing every little bit, as I as I want to do, 
I found myself really shocked when Kirk sort of has to reveal to them, I can now tell you that these outposts in the Enterprise are considered expendable to avoid a war. And it's just kind of like, oof. Maybe it's because of the yeah. hero ship, but you're just like, yikes. I mean, I, I, from a governmental level, maybe I get it. I can kind of understand. But to be on that ship and hear that, that's got to suck. It's, <laughs> it's very, it is very cold the way he says, you know, we're, we're all expendable. And then immediately just flicks off the, the communicator. Yeah. But, I mean, what else can you add to that? I mean, I think, think no. that's more, you know, that's him. That's his way of portraying, I don't agree with this. I'm not necessarily going to stick to it, but this is the orders. Because he yeah. even does literally, you know, radio back to say, can we breach the neutral zone? And then you get that beautiful bit of, you know, written poetic irony of, like, once it's all over with and everybody's in sick bay, you get Rand coming in and going, oh, Starfleet, rather we have gotten back and said, they'll support yeah. whatever you do. Oh, yeah, great, yeah. thanks. <laughs> See, this, this is why I think I'd make a terrible captain, because I'd, I'd, I'd be having to break the news to them. But I'd be like Michael Palin in Life of Brian. I'd be like, come on, chaps, let's let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. The opposite of the St. Crispin Day speech. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or it would just be like Zap Brannigan in Futurama. <laughs> We are going to have to counter them by sending wave and after wave of our own men. Now you are all expendable. <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I get it, but still. Um, so one thing I did want to kind of bring up that we've have talked about briefly is, and again, it's it's a, a praise. Sorry to everyone if you don't like this episode, but I love the the presence of um, Tom Linson and Martine and. This is like the first example, I think, of seeing the lower decks on a starship as early in the series as this and seeing the effect that life on a ship can have on the little person, quote unquote. And it, it hits home really strongly because, it, you know, it's something you can relate to. You can all relate to romance, to love. They were going to get married. It adds that extra layer of perhaps melodramatic tragedy. But I still love that it it, it works and it has that impact. And yeah, again, that, that last scene between Shatner and, and her when she's like, I'm not sad, I get it. And he's like, it never makes sense, but we have to know that there's a reason. And you can just see him carrying that weight and then just walk away like, it sucks. <laughs> and in, yeah. a, in a series that is known and mocked quite often for, yeah, there's seven dead red-shirted nobodies that are on this planet and we don't care. It's amazing that that one death has that level of impact and it takes the time to show you that, uh, which I really appreciate about this episode. <laughs> no, I do like it, but I think the the stock soundtrack that they used for that scene was a little tonally off. Uh, right. Because that's the music you normally get when Kirk's, you know, out there sowing his wild oats. So when he goes to the chapel, as it were, and she's there and this, like, seductive music starts... That kind oh, of, I didn't read that at all. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it offsets it for me. It makes me feel a little... I don't know. It makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Okay. I'm going to have to agree disagree on that. I, I didn't get that at all. I didn't pick up that up, up or anything. But Come on, Adrian, <laughs> back me up here. Yeah, I, I liked I liked that it was sort of the day in the life of a ship, like Data's day from Next Generation. Mm. You know, oh, over here, there's a wedding. Over here, there's this. Um, I... I like that relationship between the underlings, you know, the man and woman who wanted to get married. Uh, but that ending scene where Kirk kind of steals the show, you know, kind of they have him walk in and be, you know, the hero or whatever and try to give her some that comfort. Was, I don't know about that. I think I think he's 
he's trying, but I think to me, yeah. I read that as he's kind of he's giving the best comfort he can, but ultimately it's I don't know if it's maybe it's just the way Shatner portrays it, but I don't read that as like aha heroic, it's for purpose. It's like it's him trying to convince himself as much as trying to give her her support of like we oh, no, I, I, acknowledge I, I, yeah. reason. Yeah. That's true. I, th I think the performances are great. I just yeah, the think the choice of music could have been a little better on that scene. Right. Oh well. Did you notice the music at all during that age? <laughs> I didn't notice the music, but I just noticed that, you know, it comes in really quickly and it gives her a hug and try, tries to move on. And she says, I'm okay. And then in the next episode, she's hanging on another guy. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it is several episodes later. It's not next week or anything. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's shore leave. But yeah. Does the guy in shore leave die? No, nobody in Charlie dies because it turns out it's. I was going to uh, say because then the week after is she with some other dude? Is she like just working away through the <laughs> Enterprise kind of thing? Just uh, she's just the like ship's the most bike, baby. She, no, no, I don't mean it that way. I mean she's just like the the, the most unlucky person in Starfleet. <laughs> he's, he's at the uh, the cruise Christmas party trying to hit on somebody, and every guy's like, "No, no, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not yeah. getting black I'm, widow I'm, over I'm there. busy. Oh. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh man, what a reputation to have on a starship. <laughs> uh, so uh, we've been we've been chatting for a lot, so I just want to rattle a few things off from the writing that I wanted to mention, which is all just like I like the military tactics things that you see in this episode. So I do like the idea of using the comet to to make them visible for a second. Uh, Kirk not trying to underestimate them, firing blind. The idea that we've mentioned about you know throwing some debris out to make it look like you've been hit. All those kind of tactics straight out of again war movies and stuff. But I think they they help to sell the moment. And I, I've heard some criticism about like oh why are they being silent on both of the ships when they're in space? And it's like you've got to buy into the atmosphere a bit, guys. Obviously they don't literally have to be whispering. It's not like they're pretending they can be. Although they might have someone on comms. I don't know, but it's more that they're in that atmospheric moment of like ooh, someone's out there and we're tense and we don't know where they are yeah. so just you know buy into it for a minute you, you sad cynics <laughs> yeah. anyway uh, any last thoughts on writing from either of you before i move us on no i th I, th I think we've pretty much covered everything i think the writing on this was impeccable absolutely yeah. We've hit on the other section, so I don't think we'll necessarily take as long with that. Hopefully, I have a little tiny bit of information, which is just to say that Mark Leonard has said, uh, and I quote, the Romulan commander was one of the best roles I ever had on TV. Uh, compared to, comparing the part with that of Sarek, Leonard elaborated, in many ways, I did enjoy that role, meaning Sarek, but I think the more demanding role and the better acting role was the Romulan commander. Our gift to the homeland, another war, obedience, duty, death, and more death. I find myself wishing for destruction before we return, and he won't finish the Enterprise when it's weakened, which were all my notes, I think, to <laughs> try to emphasize the acting moments and the things that were important about that character. So, yeah. Um, any thoughts on the acting from anybody that uh, that you think, and Adrienne, again, we'll come to you first because we haven't really spoken to you much. Yeah, Mark Leonard just knocked it out of the park. He's incredible in this role. I mean, we kind of have already mentioned it, but yeah, Mark Leonard Shatner's performance in the episode from the world weariness to, to calling out styles to the battle tactics to the, the hardened commander that knows his stuff. Leonard Nimoy as the perfectly stoic Spock giving the exposition. D. Kelly stealing that one scene as McCoy. That's, I haven't really got anything else to add, to be honest. So, DK, what about you? Just... I think it's it's one of those when you when you look at it and it's just such a good episode. It keeps you gripped. Everybody's on top of the game. Just yeah, good stuff. Yeah, 
Uh, shall I move to the direction then and see if there's anything we want to, to add from that? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, DK, then we'll come to you first. Anything that stands out about the direction from you specifically? There's a couple of shots in this, and I'm, I, you know, I know it's it's a a scene that was used often in season one and two, not so much in three once the number of crew members started dying down. But there's a section after that briefing where Kirk's made his decision and the ship's on red alert and he's mm. walking down the corridor and the camera's, you know, panning backwards and there's all the crew members rushing around and the look of determination. I love that shot. I mm. think it's just, I think it's just beautiful. And you see yes. in Kirk's face and the way that shot set up that this is not good it's it's it is good he, he looks world weary himself in that that moment and i think the the shot as it panning back and following him as the crew's milling around him i think it's just wonderful wonderful stuff awesome is there any other scenes you want to point out because i have a few that i could bring up if not <laughs> uh there there is uh i mean there's a, there's another one right at the end of the episode where uh he's doing the similar thing down the corridor i also love the scene where uh, Janice turns up in his quarters and he's he's there and the way it's lit and he's lying on the bed mm. again I think is I think the direction and the lighting is conveys so much of Kirk's personality in this episode as well mm -hmm, and I think it's mm -hmm. it all comes together to form this honest honest to goodness I just think it's it's one of the defining episodes for Kirk mm. I agree. I agree. Um, what about you, Adrian? Anything that stands out to you from the direction? Yeah, same. Well, the use of lighting in this uh, episode is just genius from, from the very, mm -hmm. very beginning to the very end. I think it's incredible. Also, I really, like I mentioned earlier, love the scenes on the Romulan ship. Whereas if one of the characters on the Enterprise passed away, you'd see them in um, sickbay. Mm -hmm. uh, but here, everything is really super cramped. The body of the centurion is right there in the in the same room where everybody's working, and it can just you can just see these three actors, you know, portraying this, and I think that was incredibly well done. Absolutely, yeah. The, the lighting and uh, and things like that are all definitely contributing to it. But I think the direction, and again, we've mentioned his name, but the direction by Vincent Macaviti, I think, is is worthy of praise. Mm -hmm. And there's some really things that have become really iconic that I will revisit probably next week, <laughs> again, without saying too much, but things like, um, as I've already mentioned, the destruction of the outpost being so intense, the, the Romulan reveal scene, uh, the moments between Spock and Styles, the dramatic announcements, the tension of the waiting game, and the little things like the framing of the view screen, uh, which again, this is an early episode, so you don't necessarily have that visual language, but the idea that that is the sort of the view to the outside and where the enemy might be and you know they're invisible so having that on there i think is a really important frame uh, to, to leave a, as the kind of focus and one thing i noticed throughout was that uh, he kind of really emphasizes kirk by having just a, a straight beam of light across his eyes almost on yeah. every kind of scene where kirk has to from the, the, the moment of happiness in the chapel to anytime he has to make a decision and and it's very much like it's almost as if he's got like the spotlight shining on his eyes where he has to make decisions and it emphasizes that. So again, just brilliant expert direction, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, the use of lighting on Kirk's eyes has kind of become iconic. 
Mm. I mean, it really has. It's obvious, but it's interesting. And, and it happened a lot in this in the TOS. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and related to that, then to the direction, I wanted to move on to the VFX. And again, just let you know, uh, the term photon torpedo was only invented for a later episode, Arena. But the same effect was used in this one, although it was still called phasers. But yeah, that's why they are the way that they are. <laughs> um, Balance of Terror was the first episode of the remastered version of the original series to air, though in some markets it was preceded by Miri, and it premiered in syndication on the weekend of 16th of September 2006, most notably featuring new effect shots of the Comet, the Romulan Plasma Torpedo, and the Bird of Prey, as well as the Enterprise and Bird of Prey adrift. But uh, notably, it didn't correct the, uh, because it's integral to the plot, the idea of the phases as, I guess, torpedoes, depth charges, whatever you want to call them. And again, it, it's going to come up, but it's uh, interesting that Strange New Worlds opted to do the same thing. They kind of pulse phases effects that look more like torpedoes rather than the beam of light that we might be used to. So that was all the notes I had about the VFX that I thought were interesting, other than, like I said, the ships and everything I think are for 1966 are amazing. I love the Bird of Prey design. I like the Romulan design and makeup, even though it is just, you know, Vulcans, but it's interesting. It, it works for me. And uh, yeah, as you said, a lot of the framing and the direction. So anything from you guys from direction or VFX, anything like that? Uh, VFX, I can't really comment because I, I ended up watching the remastered version this time. I did too, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I will say I, I do... For a new kind of uniform, I do love the uh, the Romulan uniforms in this. Yes, I mean, <laughs> yeah, these more are... or less. It. Oh no, one other thing, which was the music, and again, you've criticised some of it, so I'll give you a chance to uh, to jump in with anything else, DK, that you think <laughs> on the music. It's, I, I know I'm coming across like a real misanthrope in this. I, I it's just, it <laughs> yeah. was just that that I I just felt in that last scene it was a little out of place. Other than that, I think the music, the use of music, was really good, it added to the tension. Yeah. You could you you could have messed it up so badly in this, uh, you know what is a essentially a a nautical kind of episode so tense. Mm. You know you you really could have messed it up. But to me, they did a perfect job up until that last scene, and Fair by enough. that point, the the tension was kind of. You know, you'd, you'd pass that tension. You were on the wind down after that. So I can still kind of forgive him for that, even though I thought it was a little, you know, totally, totally strange. Yeah. And I, I think the same. I like, I think it's perfectly well used dramatic music when it needs to be. But I also think it's good that they know when not to use music to add to the tension as well. So there's an, a lawful lot of noticeably there isn't any background music. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. uh, the only other thing I can add is that I quite like the English hymn from the start. <laughs> but yeah, um, anything else uh, from anyone on anything at all then? And then uh, we'll uh, start to wrap this up. <laughs> no. no, no, I think we've I think we've pretty much covered this one. Great. So um, we're going to jump then into our favorite character moment and line, and then we'll go to the audience response. Then we'll give our conclusion and score, uh, hopefully from there. So, yeah. Um, again, Adrienne, as the guest, we'll let you go first and ask who was your favorite character in this. The Romulan commander is my favorite. Wow. Any reasons you want to uh, go into as to why? Or... Imagine the episode without him. Fair enough. That's a, that's a very <laughs> succinct way of putting it. That's Yeah, fair enough. Um, what about you, DK? It's, it's Kirk. Kirk. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was going to be one of the two. Any reasons for, for why Kirk? Uh, well, I did. I mean, I, again, 
it's what I said earlier. You really see why he's regarded as such a good captain in this. But I'm just going to repeat, mm. you know, what Adrian said and just say, imagine this episode without Kirk. <laughs> don't have, oh. We don't have to. We 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 saw exactly what would happen in these events without Kirk. Sure, sure. we, sure. <laughs> we will address that next week. Yes, <laughs> so we will. We uh, but yeah, so yeah, my favorite character was also the Romulan commander. I think it's a fully three-dimensional, relatable, and identifiable performance that stands the test of time. So what i went with uh and what was your favorite moment or scene in the episode uh, adrian well i'm assuming that most people would say it's the last scene with the romulan commander but for me um you know when he's gonna use the body of the centurion as fodder uh and he has to make that decision that's my favorite scene yeah fair enough um dk to you <laughs> Uh, I'm going to have to go back to what I said earlier. The the briefing around the table and then the alarm kicks in and Kirk's... The look on Kirk's face as he's walking down that corridor. Yeah. To me, that's, well, I that's incredibly moving. I didn't really make enough of this earlier, but again, it's it's not my choice. But we, again, I do love what you mentioned earlier where Styles is basically needling at Spock about like, oh, we need to do this. I'm interested in why you think this. And then, as you said, to everyone's surprise, Spock just says, yeah, I agree. Attack them. <laughs> it's yeah. just such a good moment. Yeah. Um, not what I went and with. I, who I went with. Sorry. Go ahead. No. Well, I was just going to say, sorry to interrupt. I do like the fact that they didn't do the regular thing in Star Trek of Spock coming out with an opinion and then uh, McCoy kind of needling him about it. I like that. I like that they showed how serious this situation was by not immediately going back to that kind of interplay they're between still, them. They still had those points, though. I mean, I think they are still on those sides of the debate, as you say, but obviously they realise the importance so it doesn't come down to a cat fight. <laughs> it yeah. would be silly, but yeah. No, the scene, the scene that I went with, for all the reasons that I've already mentioned, is the scene between Kirk and McCoy. Don't destroy the one named Kirk. So I love that scene. And I think it's, again, it, it could easily have been cut, but I'm glad it wasn't. Uh, and Adrienne, what was your favourite line in the piece? Forgive me, old friend, but I must use all my experience now to get home. Nice. Good call. DK? <laughs> it's, it's predictable, but it's the... Uh... Leave any bigotry in your quarters. There's no room okay. for it on the bridge. Thankfully, we have all picked different ones then, because I went with, I regret that we meet this way, Captain. You and I are of a kind. In a different reality, I might have called you friend. So, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> I just got chills. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my acting. I'm just that good. <laughs> yeah, I love that whole quote, the whole quote, everything that comes after it and everything as well is, is beautiful, but yeah. So what we're going to do now then is we're going to jump into the section that I call subspace communications. Incoming transmission. And what this is, is basically our audience response section. And I will preface it this week by saying thank you so much to everyone that uh, contributed mainly through Facebook groups to the audience response to this episode. It is perhaps telling of how popular and well-known an episode it is that the response that I got was frankly ridiculous. <laughs> um, if I had read every last bit of feedback, we'd have been here for two hours easily just reading that. So I haven't had a chance to get to all of it. And if you contributed feedback and I haven't read it out, I am so sorry. I, I did my best to try and cultivate a, a, you know, enough of a sample that we could have some kind of section here. And hopefully I've, I've got a decent cross section, but like I said, we just could not have got to everyone because the response was overwhelming, but do keep on 
please responding in that way to uh, other episodes, whether they're as popular as this or not in the future. Uh, and so, yeah, I'll, I'm going to start us off with the things that aren't from Facebook, uh, from our various fans. Obviously, I just asked, what did you make of Balance of Terror and what score you might give it out of um, five stars, which is how we rate things. And the first one that I got is on... Uh, on let's say blue sky at tlbklaus.bsky.social just says an excellent remake of the enemy below fair enough uh over on let's see classic trek talk hmm. uh i'm not sure which oh that was on discord my mistake over on discord on the star trek uh, refugees channel under classic trek talk bryce says my favorite tos episode of all time also thoroughly enjoyed the strange new worlds version over on mastodon christopher at tspoe underscore pods at mastodon.social just says brilliant episode i really like the in your face tackling of the racism felt by the navigator keep your bigotry in your cabin mark leonard was masterful at conveying the weariness of the romulan commander even if the script hadn't expressed it i think you still would have picked up on it through his actions and emotions this is one of the five out of five episodes of the original series and from DK's personal Facebook, I did see that somebody responded to you, DK. Uh, Perry Brooker just says, one of the best ever episodes of the original Star Trek. A perfect take on a submarine story with the added look at bigotry and the classic message that the people who fight each other in the combats are the pawns of their government being fed propaganda. In a different reality, I could have called you friend. I hope I haven't misquoted after all these years. Excellent acting all rounded, nicely directed. Mark Leonard was perfectly cast and had the classic acting gravitas to pull off the role, bringing dimensions to the character, which made it all gel. And I'm going to go to the Star Trek family Facebook group next uh, and say that John Salcedo uh, said, it's required viewing if you're watching anything Star Trek. Mark Sagan says, Mark Leonard's performance was incredible, powerful and subtle at the same time. Eamon Moffat adds, Romulan episodes are always among my favourite. Loved Picard season one for that reason. And it looks like Romulans are going to factor into Discovery season five. Uh, Deborah Schwinn says, it's my number two after a mock time. Just to prove me wrong about nobody mentioning that one. Um, Chris Murphy says, one of my favourite TOS episodes. Um, Oliver Schnell has some quite uh, in-depth feedback and just says, this episode, in my humble opinion, is the best Trek episode and one of the finest hours of TV ever produced. Five out of five. In 2009, I had the chance to meet director Vincent McAviti. Wow, okay. And chat with him about making the episode and working with Shatner, Nimoy, and Mark Leonard. I love pretty much every aspect of the episode. Styles butting heads with Kirk, mirrored in the Romulan Commander and Decius. Fred Steiner's iconic Romulan theme, which was reused for Picard season one. McCoy's Don't Destroy the One Named Kirk speech. The episode is just so dang good. My favourite bit of acting by Shatner also occurs in this one. Right at the end, when he leaves the chapel, he is tired and weary. He walks through the corridor and very subtly shifts his posture because he knows his crew needs a leader with confidence. So subtle and so good. I could go on and on. I guess I know what I'll be watching for the umpteenth time tonight. Um, Bob Danelfelser simply says six stars. Mark Dole says, whenever I rewatch Balance of Terror, it always makes me wonder about what enemy soldiers are thinking on the other side of the battlefield. Jamal Taylor says, it's my favourite episode, five out of five. Leave any bigotry in your quarters. It remains one of the best lines in the series. On top of the submarine movie feel, the episode manages to show how multifaceted life in Starfleet is. Exploration, resupply, defence, and at the end of the episode, the offer to rescue the survivors of the enemy ship show an ability to show a level of compassion that humans today as a whole seem intent on failing to match. Uh, Scott Bauman says, a spectacular episode, not just of Star Trek, but of television as a whole. At the time, it really showed what the small screen could accomplish in the fields of action and drama. Five stars, no notes. Stan Fishman agrees that Mark Leonard was great in the episode uh, and then says, I'm an original Trekker. I began watching in 66 on Armed Forces Television. Wow. 
thank you, Stan. Uh, but I've split up this feedback because there's so dang much this week, so you don't just have to listen to my voice droning on. I'm going to uh, enlist <laughs> my uh, co-host and our guest this week to uh, to add to this. So first of all, DK, I believe the first group that you have is from the Star Trek Strange New Worlds Facebook group. Is that right? It is, yes. Uh, and we'll start with Craig Winterson. He says, it's the best. It showed the brilliance of Captain Kirk as a tactician. And uh, Luis Angel Rosario replied to him with uh, with Kirk saying, he did the same thing I would have done. I won't underestimate him again. Uh, Vernon Hicks just, you know, goes straight into the leave any bigotry in your quarters. There's no room for it on the bridge. William R. Hughes simply says, balance of terror is one of the best. Frank West says, this episode ranks in my top favourites, just below Doomsday Machine and Immunity Syndrome. I've always favoured the ship-based episodes, even though I like all of them to, to some degree or another. Dana Goldman says one of the best, and the Enterprise Incident too. Great introduction to Mark Leonard. Ethan H. Jones says one of the best episodes of the original series. William Ridgway also says the same, one of the best Star Trek episodes in my opinion. Azel Williams says great episode, I love it, I give it a 10. Uh, Jeremy Wood, he says, I thought it was ultra fantastic. Oof, not just fantastic, ultra fantastic. The story, the conflict, the resolution, all perfect. Steve Smith says, it's the gold standard, the best episode of the original series. Flawless, even today. Remarkable, given original series dated a bit and some episodes haven't aged well at all. James Alrogan, so, uh, forgive me if I mispronounced that. But he gives it five out of five. Just once you've got to see a Romulan Captain Kirk. Professional, intelligent, and just like Kirk, hating war. It was a fair fight with each ship, and the captains were equal. Wish it was a real battle without writer's favouritism. Who would really win? Scott Thomas says it's perfect and gives it a five. Samuel Morrill says one of the best episodes of the franchise. In fact, after a long day at work, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> Jeremiah Kasperowitz says, my absolute favourite episode of all time. Johnny Gold 7 gives it 10. One of the best episodes of Star Trek. Mark Leonard, best performance in Star Trek. Peter Ambrose gives it another 5 star. That's one of my favourite episodes, he says. And Nick Brugel says, a perfect episode. Bob Daly, he says, both the original and the remake. One of my favourite episodes. So now I have to rearrange my display... Uh, to show my new discovery in my attic and he has a uh one of the old playmates romulan birds yeah. of prey ships i, I asked picture. him if i could use the picture so i will put it on screen on our youtube oh, channel nice because one. i think it's amazing it's so cool <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's from me so over to you adrian yeah <laughs> i believe i have star trek universe facebook Is yes and i think you should, you should have star trek ships of the line group as well under the, under there so. okay great uh, Russell Handelman says, one of the all-time greats. I especially like the distinctive style of the Romulan dialogue. It uses archaism. Its use of archaisms gives a histrionic grandeur that's almost Shakespearean. Paul Tarosian, IMHO Balance of Terror is the best TOS episode. Doomsday Machine, Sydney on the Edge of Forever, Mirror Mirror, and The Ultimate Computer round out my top five. David Simon says, haha, Simon says, sure he's never heard that before. If you wanted to show an episode to a person who had never watched Star Trek, I'd start with this one. Starfleet says it stands for something, and in most episodes, it really stands for whatever the plot requires, hence all the prime directive issues. But Balance of Terror and the Corumbite Maneuver stand out as two of the finest episodes of This Is Who We Are. Read who we have the potential to become. 
Your mileage may vary. Andrew Gilmore says, one of my favorite episodes, Jim Pence, says at least four stars. Robert Elmer says, my favorite TOS episode. Keith A. Wallenberg said, this episode usually makes fan-generated top 10 lists. I agree with that assessment. <laughs> Very Vulcan of him. Andy Jones, Balance of Terror and Space Seed are the best, exclamation mark. Ryan Stewart, one of the best top five next to Space Seed. Oh, apparently they get along. Uh, Joseph Ferris gives it five stars. The original series could be goofy and campy at times, but this was not one of them. I really enjoyed the hunt, tactic, tactics, and strategy that both commanders displayed in this episode. They treated the battle like a battle between two submarines stalking each other, waiting for the right moment to strike. Then in the end, nothing but respect for a very worthy opponent. Add to that confronting racism, bigotry, born out of the war of long past. Having grown up in the South, Georgia in particular, I have personally witnessed the hatred directed at an enemy of war long over. Still some places in Georgia where you can't even mention General Sherman. Yeah, great episode 10 out of 10. This is a must-see. Tony Carter said, I loved it, but it was all just a you, but it was just a you boot story in space. Robert Carr, Tony Carter, I saw the first submarines were just Star Trek in the water. <laughs> yeah, I said I saw this first submarines are just <laughs> right. Star Trek in water, which exactly. is my favorite comment. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> William Messenger says, my first Star Trek episode ever, if I remember correctly. It's still my favorite. Jeremy Avery, who is a top contributor, says five out of five. This episode display displays brilliant tactics of starships, cleverness of Captain Kirk, Xenophobia attacking to prevent war. Fred Stahlbaum says, that was an excellent episode. It was a bit too psychological for me when I watched it as an eight-year-old, but seeing it later when I was able to understand it better, realized it was a fine bit of writing and excellent acting, five stars. And David Gardner replies, ditto. Cool. And if you'll forgive me, we're almost over from Star Trek Wholesome posting. Phil Barker says the Romulan commander was clearly caught between duty and conscience. In the end, he did the only thing he could do. Dee Binkies says, to me, it's one of the more boring episodes. Plus, it was weird seeing emotionless Sarek as a seemingly depressed Romulan, LOL. I usually skip it one star. Weird. Uh, so Elizabeth Lynn Blackson comments on that. While I don't agree, I do respect this. It's a weird thing I'm learning as a writer. No matter what you make, not everyone will like it. But this is the episode I think of, first and foremost, when I think of the original series. John Nelson adds to that. Top three for sure. I watched it last night and thought that gets better every time I see it. Uh, Pai Hen, sorry if I've mispronounced that, says best TOS episode ever. The tension, the battle of wits, the submarine-like battle, and of course Mark Leonard was awesome as the Romulan commander. One could only imagine that different reality if he was friends with Kirk. Ten out of five. Sharon Becker says, I think it's the best episode of TOS. Angela Christine says, I really like that episode. Rigo Rodriguez adds, this episode is a masterpiece. Directing and cinematography make it look beautiful. Drama and suspense are intense, and Kirk is a warrior. Spock McCoy and Uhura also shine in the episode. Brandon Everidge says, five stars for Balance of Terror. I love this episode. Uh, B. Oscar B. Oscar Posey says, one of my favorites, five out of five. Karen Babsia says, one of the best simply because of the Romulan commander and Kirk's recognition of each other's talents at the end and how things could be different, what Trek is all about. Ross Hendry says, five, literally all that annoyed me about it is the navigator being cheeky to a superior officer in Spock as he came from a military family. I find it difficult to believe he would be so undisciplined. 
Yeah, fair enough. And finally, um, just from my friend Justin, who is going to be on the podcast later, forgive me, it is a little bit long, but I do feel like I have to, uh, to read it because it's always very insightful and he always has some uh, intriguing things to say if I can find where it is. So, uh, yeah, Justin Daniels just says, uh, spoilers, I guess, technically, I think, again, we've passed the moratorium on that, as DK was saying. Uh, he says, the last time I saw this episode was a while ago, so a rewatch was definitely in order. I'm glad I did. The nuance had dulled a lot for me. First, I never put together. It was essentially an allegory for a submarine story. I know a lot of Trek is the Navy in space, but it's not often that thought occurs. As well, the Cold War era of the 60s is so clearly represented that even a thick fellow like myself sees it. I think it's amazing writing like so much of the original series. To leave any bigotry in your quarters is interesting. Today it would be seen as nothing, maybe even attacked for not saying there's no room for bigotry, period. At the time, however, wow. Trek has always pushed the envelope on socially aware topics. Wokeness, as I know some think of it. This is definitely a great example. It made me smile to hear it again. The theme continues throughout the episode, eventually culminating in Styles having to confront his hatred being saved by Spock. The cold logic of Spock's reply was devastating. I actually flinched. One could only hope it led to some deep self-reflection. The tension of the episode still shines through, even with the dated effects. I enjoyed the phases as depth charges. Honestly, it holds up and the tension is so palpable. The acting is superb, especially considering it's a sci-fi primetime TV show. Compared to other series at the time, it was ages ahead of itself. The interplay between the Romulan commander and Kirk is quite impressive. The mutual respect for each other's tactics, acknowledgement of underestimating each other, the exchange between them at the end. It was very well done, and it's nice to see something come off so well. It doesn't have much of the hammy acting that tends to crop up with some Trek villains. I very much respected the noble self-sacrifice. Where are these Romulans in later Trek? Agreeing with you, DK. They don't seem so one-dimensional. Maybe it's just that so much is only hinted at and left unsaid. I'm sure there's a hundred other points to make, but I'll wrap up with a rating of four and a half stars. I only take away for what I consider some technical issues. The writing and acting is top-notch. Absolutely a great way to start off the Romulan series of podcasts. Well done. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, a, a vast array <laughs> of uh, things with only one, I think, negative voice in that and a, a lot of glowing responses from the audience. So a popular episode, to say the very least. So uh, all that remains is for us to chime in with our final conclusion and score. Um, but before we do that, there's one thing I wanted to start doing this series, if you'll bear with me, hopefully it won't take too long, which was to say that, you know, Star Trek always tends to have a message or a point at what it's saying. And we've touched on this a little bit, but what was the message that you took away ultimately from this episode? What was it trying to say? Uh, Adrienne, we'll come to you first. Uh, say no to bigotry. Fair enough. And what about you, DK? Uh, that plus war is hell. Mm. Yeah, and I just think it says something about how duty to a higher power might seem honourable, but it's not always wise. <laughs> there we go. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so yeah, conclusion and scores out of five Starfleet Deltas all round. And again, because you're the guest, Adrienne, we'll start with you if that's okay. Oh, this is a five out of five for the original series. It's just one of the best ones, and I love it. Simple as that, fair enough. DK, to you next. Oh, God. Everyone's said so much, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to start with a little preface. You know yourself, Mike, that I've been kind of trekked out recently. Mm -hmm. This one's actually made me want to start back up again. Aww. Uh, yeah. Every time someone used to bring this up, I would balk. For some reason, I had it in my head that this was a dull episode. And yet, whenever I watched it, I was gripped. Maybe it was my reaction as a child and that stuck with me, but I'm wrong. It's okay. tense. It's well acted. The scripting is fantastic. It's proof, if anyone needed, to the naysayers of just how good a Captain Kirk is. 
It introduces the Romulans with a brilliant turn from Mark Leonard and immediately shows just how big a threat they are and will be in future episodes. It is the perfect submarine episode. It's just run silent, run deep in space. And I've also given it five out of five. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, so I'll just jump in with my conclusion then and say that I think the audience comments are quite telling on this. It's one of the gold standard episodes of the original series and heck, the whole franchise. The brilliant game of cat and mouse between two brilliantly written and acted starship commanders, a sense of real tension, addressing bigotry and the futility of war, showing real emotion and depth of character. Every line is a quotable gem. Every scene is a masterclass. The only possible criticisms I could levy would be if things like the special effects, which are both silly and irrelevant in the service of such greatness. It's an episode I've revisited many times and will again, and which loses none of its impact each time. So just one more duty for me to perform, and that's to give it five stars out of five <laughs> which suffice to say would mean that the average pretty easy to work out again uh, five out of five a perfect score for Ooh. balance of terror absolutely well brilliant couldn't be more fitting i think and a great way to start our romulan series uh, let's hope it's not just all downhill from here <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean uh Thoughts on that, you two? Do you think that's justifiable? Definitely. Yeah, I'm, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's that's one Romulan episode down, and I've not been disappointed. I'm kind of hoping it uh, <laughs> it sticks that way. So, yeah, I'm, weirdly enough, I'm, I'm kind of excited for what's coming up. That's fair enough. Cool. And what about you, Adrienne? And you had a good time here today with this? <laughs> yes, I had a good time. I have a little thing that I wrote. I wrote a limerick. Okay. Oh, cool. Okay. Anybody want to hear? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah go for it. <laughs> All right. So these Romulans apparently think they can take Captain Kirk to the brink. But as for me, and Spock would agree, why are their uniform sashes hot pink? <laughs> that That's just made the episode for me. <laughs> Fantastic. That is brilliant. I thought I I that Adrienne has to do that for every episode going forward. <laughs> Funny. This I is think... the first time I ever wrote a limerick. <laughs> You've been listening to the Delta Flyers podcast. Yes, you, we talked friend? about yeah. that on our last episode. And I'm watching the the um DS9 episode before I listen, you know, just to prepare. But I love how um he's doing limericks, so I decided to try one. Yeah, oh, I love that as well. They had limericks from Soman to, you know, I think Armand Chimmerman's defining titles and they're all doing oh, great yeah. stuff. And that's where, that's, if I'm honest, that's blatantly where I stole. Where did you, what did you get out of the episode and what was your takeaway from as well? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So uh, that'll conclude things. Hopefully you've bared with us for the full sort of two hours plus of whatever this is. And uh, I think, again, it's, it's an episode we had a lot to say about and you can see why. And hopefully you've enjoyed us uh, discussing it. And maybe it's fun to do to revisit it. And if so, again, feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, you can always contact us via all of our social media links, which are in the episode descriptions on YouTube and our podcast channels. But to <clears throat> give them to you in a way that the audio listeners can experience, uh, bear with me. I think we are available on Facebook. Uh, just look for Hit or Miss Star Trek under Facebook group. We are on Instagram at HOM Star Trek Podcast. Just all one word, no capitals. Uh, let's see. We are also on Blue Sky as Hit or Miss Star Trek Podcast. We're on threads as something. 
<laughs> Bear with me. Uh, we're on threads, but it's just my personal one, so it's just michael.k.wilson. And yeah, just take a look around and uh, type in hit or miss Star Trek. And if you can find us, we'll be there. <laughs> so uh, it just remains for me to say thank you so much to Adrienne for coming on as a guest and especially for that little limerick. <laughs> of course. Awesome. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, you will be back next week and later in the series, I'm sure. So hopefully you can right. uh, do that again because now I'm just <laughs> going to be coming to you expecting that. So. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> I look forward to next week's. And uh, yeah, thanks uh, for joining me again, DK, and thanks for, uh, you know, being proven slightly wrong on this episode and uh, reigniting your love of Trek. <laughs> As always, a pleasure, and this time it really was, mate. Awesome, cool. And uh, do either of you have anywhere you want to shout out that people can find you? Adrian? Oh. I am on uh, Twitter still at um, ALParkTucker2. Sorry about the politics. <laughs> I'm not, but okay. <laughs> DK, <laughs> what about you? <laughs> Uh, as you know, I am notoriously antisocial, so I will just take this opportunity to once again thank the Federation Subspace Channel for uh, for hang having us. And if you've listened to it on there and you've enjoyed it, I hope you'll return next time and give us a, a look on social media, even though I'm mm. not on it. <laughs> yes, you can always find the podcast, though, and uh, I'm I'm kind of on there occasionally. So <laughs> I always say, no, I'm usually on there promoting or asking people to hit or miss questions, so... Yeah, do enjoy uh, hopefully interacting with us on there. And so, yeah, in the meantime, don't worry, we will be back uh, over the next few weeks, once every week, we're looking at other Romulan episodes. And it will come as no surprise to you when I reveal that next week uh, we are looking at what might have happened uh, if things have this episode had planned out differently. We're going to be reviewing the Star Trek Strange New World season one finale, A Quality of Mercy. So we're still stuck in these 2266 events. Which I'm looking <laughs> forward to that one. Like I said, I've already watched and made my notes, so I'm looking forward to gathering again next week. Uh, in the meantime, do remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. <laughs> Live long and prosper. You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Produced and edited by Mike Wilson. Additional material by DK. Please remember to like this episode and spread it throughout subspace. Subscribe to the Hit or Miss YouTube channel and follow us online. Links to all of our social media pages can be found via the link tree listed in the episode's description. For any queries or to apply to be a guest on the show, you can also email HOMStarTrek at gmail.com. This podcast is part of the Mike's Podcasts Network. You can listen to this and our sister podcasts on all good podcast providers by searching for Mike's Podcasts. Hit or Miss Podcast was based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templer. Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll be back, but for now, hailing frequencies closed. <laughs>